Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. You may have noticed that we started just a few minutes early, which is um, not customary. Um, but it appeared that everyone was um, happy to be here, and they were here online and also inside. So um, rather than being pressed for time, I thought we'd give ourselves a little, little space to thank you for being here. It's kind of amazing. That kind of. <laughs> it's amazing to be here. Um, I made myself aware of something very um, <clears throat> right here at the last moment as we were preparing that I have become so accustomed to being online. Uh, so that I have one of these things in front of me. And it's up high, and I'm looking right at the camera, and my notes are right on my thing. <laughs> now it's like a different thing, and I have a computer and a Zendo, so my apologies for that. I want to be with you. Um, <clears throat> and I want to read just for a moment the few sentences that we sent out when we invited you. Um, I don't know if you were any at all like me, but if I see uh, an intensive or something uh, retreat that I'd like to go to, I choose um, by the teacher and then whatever it is they're talking about. <laughs> and, and we go to great lengths to make sure that we make it inviting in certain ways, but you know, you often don't read it. And even if you did, that's fine. This is a reminder. So this is what we sent out. Uh, and we're, we're standing on these people's shoulders because you've been teaching about Torizente's Bodhisattva Vow, teaching from that piece. The Bodhisattva Vow is the foundation of the Mahayana practice of Buddhism as expressed through our Zen lineage. So that's a very foundational sentence. The Bodhisattva Vow is the foundation of the Mahayana practice of Buddhism through our Zen lineage. We vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings as we realize our profound inner being with everything and everyone. This realization extends our understanding of beings to include all parts of ourselves, which make up the constructed and vital self we call personality. To embody the Bodhisattva vow is to open our minds and hearts as Avalokiteshvara does, as she hears the cries of the world. She opens herself to the world and hears the cries of the world. It also means, as Dogen said, to take the backward step and turn your light inward and to meet the cries there. Like the breath in Zazen, we move inward and outward inner world, outer world, the unbending flow of, of compassion and wisdom as the world. 
So that was the invitation. So you're still in the right place. You need to, to go. Okay. Back and forth, inside and out, and back and forth. Four and a half years it's been since we sat next to each other in this room talking to this. That's a surprise. Inside and out, online and in person, here and there, everywhere, always. <laughs> so tonight, what I'd like to do is provide sort of an overview of how we might envision the, the week, but not just from a, a technical point of view, but um, also from a body. You kind of set the, the stage, as it were. So the, the practices, as you know, of a bodhisattva are the paramitas. The qualities of the lived bodhisattva experience are the uh, Brahmaviharas, the, the, the measurables. So we're going to start there. I'm going to ask you to begin your practice now. Here's, here's the way I'm going to do it. You know, the, the paramitas include generosity, ethics or morality, uh, vitality and spiritual energy and also patience, uh, meditation or concentration and wisdom. Those are ones we, and I kind of said them in pairs, sometimes we kind of like that. So as you came in earlier today, maybe for the Chuka, uh, excuse me, for the head student ceremony, or even this evening, if you've not been in, or you wandered in yesterday when Peg and I were working, and there we were, like, always oh, in the bathroom. <laughs> Here's the question. The first uh, paramita is generosity. When you walked in, did you feel a generous spirit? Either from yourself or from others? Both ways, you know, giving, receiving. There's some generosity here, bodhisattva practice. The second of the paramitas is, um, you know, morality or ethics, usually the, the precepts fall in here. Is this kind of place and the kind of community and the kind of meeting <clears throat> full of good character, possibility, respect, kindness, care? I know it's not only that, but did you feel that? So there is some, some of this basic goodness. The third, um, vitality, spiritual energy. I know you felt the energy of connecting, right? You see someone and for the first time in so long you go, <laughs> reach out your arms, how are you gonna touch? Are you gonna bow when there's actually someone in front of you? The energy of anticipation, but also inspiration. And upwelling of our aspirations. Did you feel that? So that practice is happening already. Patience. Are you willing to allow the time and space this week for the um, unfolding of our shared practice? to meet what is arising with some patience and curiosity in yourself and with others when they irritate you or, or we inevitably fail you. <laughs> Do you feel the spirit of patience? You've waited a long time for us to come back. 
Supreme patience. I know. Meditation or <laughs> concentration, number five. <clears throat> Are these first moments of meeting and just sitting for a few moments, just coming into this room again, even if you're online, you know, remembering or seeing? <clears throat> Are these first few moments of meeting inviting more patience, like a settling, a focusing of your heart and mind in the present? Do any of that? It's like, oh, okay. And how does that connect with the final prajna or wisdom? Are you now able, in just these few minutes, maybe to see things a little more clearly with a little more embodied immediacy? Nothing big, just, oh, we are here. This is real. So, do you have a sense right now? Could you actually say, oh, apparently we are settling in to the practices of the Bodhisattva Vow, which are the six paramitas. Does it have to be something uh, amazing or obscure? This is what we're doing. And as we do it, the qualities of the Bodhisattva, the, the four Brahmaviharas, which you know are as loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, sympathetic joy. I'm going to ask you some practice questions also to turn your mind inward a little bit. <clears throat> and I'm going to start with sympathetic joy, because that seems to be an abundance right there. <laughs> Did you notice a sense of joy as you met each other? Including watching the brightness of others being met? You know? Even if you're online, if you see people brighten up, as they, and we brighten up as we turn toward you. So sympathetic joy is here, isn't it? Not only are we practicing the bodhisattva practices, but the qualities of bodhisattvas are starting to move here. Equanimity. When you notice this, how did your body react? Your heart and your mind. Did you notice any sense of relaxation or ease? Uh, maybe some spaciousness as you came here. You may have felt other things too. Did you notice some of that? Can I get an amen? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> loving kindness, loving kindness. It's not difficult for me to feel this sort of basic um, friendliness and loveliness, you know, being together. Um, and I would say the feeling of um, remembering what's like to fall in love, you know, really, if I can say that. As we just encounter each other's presence, you know, whether it's here or I see a face online and I'm touched. <clears throat> and that, of course, calls for compassion, the fourth. Can you feel your heart opening? Even a little. Were you willing to kind of lean in to meet what began to stir as you came this evening? And can you feel the surge of care? for the others, for other people. So just in these first few minutes, if you've reflected on these things, turned your light inward, and if you've listened to others and seen them, we realize we're engaged in the basic Bodhisattva practices already, and those practices are bearing fruit. And it's an important thing to remember. It's not some distant thing. This is what we're doing now with our bodies and with each other. 
And since these are both the qualities of the bodhisattva's living and the practices of bodhisattva's entire life, we support and encourage them with a vow. So we keep, that's how it's kept going. Even with all the, gosh, all the things that have happened with the pandemic and with changes and Peg and I moving and other things, you know, all these things that happen, which have been difficult and problematic and stumbles and opportunities and beautiful things. What sustains us is a vow. Okay. So let's in tones, so we use our bodies, let's say the, the, our usual bodhisattva vow all the way through. Ready? And one of the reasons that I want to do it is because, man, what I have missed in hearing other voices. You know, and when you're online, you can hear more voices that way. If you're just online, you know, you don't get the the congregation, mm -hmm. but it's different to hear it, isn't it? So please do it with us. Here we go. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Family gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. This vow frees them all. Delusions are inexhaustible. This vow ends them all. Dharma gates are boundless. This vow enters them all. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. This vow embodies it. And could I get a bell? <laughs> So you've all noticed, reflected on, confirmed and affirmed that you're practicing the basic practices of a bodhisattva together. That those practices are bearing fruit right now. It's not something in the future. And you've now used your voice to express in this, this small little house temple, the vow that sustains those practices and those qualities to liberate beings, to go beyond delusion, and turn toward each opportunity for further awakening that life offers you and to continually embody the Buddha's example of an awakened life. That's what you just vowed. And that final line, embody, which was, I'm so glad that changed that. I, I was looking up the definition of embody, not that I didn't know what it meant, but I wanted to see what it said. I often do this. Um, to give a concrete form to, to express, personify, or exemplify a concrete form, to bring something into form. It, the Bodhisattva way is just like an idea, unless we bring it into form, into one's body. And to move into one's body as a profound space of practice to experience the felt sense of embodiment. So there's this enacting to make it real in the world and to awaken to the felt sense of embodiment. So once again, we're, we're looking at these two sides. So having affirmed that this vow 
is a relational aspiration because of the way our brilliant teacher here changed the three. <clears throat> we realize that this aspiration of the bodhisattva vow doesn't just include, it requires each other. It's a requirement. And having given voice to this vast mystery and profound potential of the act of embodiment itself, then we, then we can take the backward step. We know where we're situated, turn our light inward up to those four aspects of the Bodhisattva vow. So I'm going to say them a different way now. At first I said, you know, to liberate beings, go beyond delusion, turn toward every opportunity and embody the awakened life. And I'm going to say it more in questioning. First, did you feel even a bit more liberated by this opening experience? Remember the vow is to liberate all beings, not just beings. Was there any more, a little bit of, a little bit of liberation? How, how did you know as you checked inside? Are any parts of you more freed up from their extreme positions or burdensome places, even just a tiny bit? Second line, just as we're going through this together, did your habitual delusions, and I know you all have them, <laughs> so do I, did your habitual ways of seeing the world soften? in abeyance, even for a moment, when Joan rang the bell or when we chanted together. Can you feel yourself like unblending from some of your habitual perceptions or perspectives that feel like you, but suddenly you feel this little bit of space? Because we begin to see they're not the liberating expression of the natural state. Oh, these are constructions. Bless you. Third line. By stepping into the Zendo, by taking your seat, by answering these questions, reflecting and voicing your vow, were you able to step through the open gate of the moment into the opportunity we all offered each other by arriving as spiritual friends? Do you feel yourself stepping into something? And do you feel a willingness to turn toward each other and toward your inner world? equally, with curiosity, patience, with humility, with care. And lastly, that embodied line, what was it like to embody, even for a moment, this way of being together? All of this. And how do these embodied practices nourish and encourage our true nature, Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it, the Buddha's way? And you'll be answering that question for a week. And we're going to enter this week of focused practice together, so it's a good idea to begin to orient ourselves to all of this. So, how's it going so far? It's good to actually reflect deeply, not just listen to something. Like we're practicing, and the practice is, is moving here. <clears throat> I, I want to uh, go to the to Troy Zinji's Bodhisattva Vow, that you were using as the focus for a moment. Um, because they're um, embedded in it as a segment that people stumble on. 
if by chance they should turn against us becomes you know that one so we're going to get to that uh, that's why i'm going in gently <laughs> to give us the space and context about what this is all about okay um but let's uh Oh gosh, you don't, you don't have your chant books with you. It would be nice if you did. Do you have? But those of you that have moved. I can grab that. Do you mind? Let's let's just say it together. We're going to chant it every day, and but we have we come. That's a vacant beyond. Apparently, they've disappeared. We have to we have to print more. And if you don't have it, just your neighbor will help you, I'm sure. This one here. It's, everybody has at least a friend you can observe? Which one we have to do? We have to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay, here. Uh, what page? Keep her back. Nine. Okay. <laughs> but you need one. Should we be on this camera? This is the back. This is the back. And uh, those of you online, we send it to you. I hope you have it. And if you don't, listen up, we're just going to go through it. We'll be chanting it every day, so it'll start getting even more. Are you ready to go? Okay, here we go. When I assume the way, look like the universe, all is the never-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of the awakened life. In any event, in any moment, and in any place, None can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light. This realization made our ancestors and teachers extend tender care with respectful hearts, even to such beings as birds and beasts. This realization teaches us that our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood the merciful incarnation of the awakened one. Who can be ungrateful or not respectful, even to senseless things, not to speak of humans? Even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate toward them. If by any chance they should turn against us, become sworn enemies and persecute us, we should sincerely bow down with humble language in the reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time then on each moment's flash of our thought, there will grow a lotus flower, and on each lotus flower will be revealed perfection, unceasingly manifest as our life, just as it is, right here and right now. May we extend this mind to all beings, so that we and the world together may attain maturity, in the wisdom of the awakened life. Okay, well, please. Just for good measure. So uh, now, if you don't mind, and I apologize if I'm repeating.
repeating anything, but we have people who haven't come to all of your Dharma talks, too. Um, and I'm, I'm not pulling from your talks particularly, but we're going to do a run through. Okay? So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go through it just for a bit to orient ourselves to the territory, because we're going to have to come back to the central piece in different ways, from different perspectives. So we, we're not going to give you one thing. We're going to, it's like a colon. We're going to work with it, okay? But one thing to start with, Tori Zenji is telling us something personal. It's personal. He's not writing Zen philosophy or merely offering like general instructions. This is his vow. He's offering what he had realized and what his realization meant to him in his life. And, and now we're taking it up and saying, well, maybe in ours. And what you just affirmed and reflected on earlier said, oh, like we're, we're in this thing together. We're, we're bodhisattvas also. So let's, um, let's just go through and reflect on this just a little more, okay? The first little bit is one sentence, right? The first thing, let's say it again. When I, I assume the way, way, look at the real forms of the universe, all is an ever-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of the awakened life. As, and so I'm going I'm to give you my personal reflection just as a start. Is that okay? okay. Uh, I'm a student of life. And when I see most clearly, now and then, <laughs> in those moments when I can see a little more clearly, on a good day, with a relatively spacious mind and open heart, I find that what I'm seeking most of the time is always and already right in front of me. Every time. Especially the right in front of me, especially when the me drops off, when it gets softer. So the world comes, comes, on own terms. The mysterious truth is that I'm surprised every time I discover this again. <laughs> He said he's a student of the way. He looks at the real form of the universe and never failing. It's always right there. And that's the mysterious truth. Okay, the next little bit is one sentence again. Let's say it together. In any event, in any moment, in any place, none can be other than the marvelous revelation of this glorious light. And it's just like, Nudging a little more here. So I think, wow, he's saying this is something I can't escape. Not something as far away that I am going to stretch for. In any event, in any moment, any place, nothing could be other than this. In moments when I soften my attachment to this me, this I, more of the mystery it has more of a space to reveal itself. It's there anyway. What we are immersed in is the way. That's part of why I went through the Paramitas and the Brahmi and 
And you were saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's too late now, you've already. <laughs> what we're immersed in is the way. And noticing this lights things up in a pretty glorious way. The marvelous revelation of this glorious light. Like, it really is. And we're kidding. So there's some realization that happens. And the next two sentences, which are the next two little parts, start with this realization. Both of them start with the same thing. Let's read the first one. This realization may our ancestors and teachers extend tender care with respectful hearts, even to such beings as birds and beasts. Our ancestors and teachers. We're not the first folks to notice this, and we're not going to be the last. We're not all that important, and we're completely necessary. Everything belongs. Everyone belongs. And this way of seeing that everything and everyone belongs, it naturally fills us with such gratitude. You know? I can see it on your faces, some of you. So why wouldn't you feel gratitude for everything? And what else does this realization do? What's next? This realization teaches us that our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, the merciful incarnation of the awakened one. Everything is participating in this unfolding mystery. Always, everywhere, in every single way. But the merciful incarnation of the awakened one sounds kind of highfalutin, you know. It's like this life, this moment, this breath, life as it is. You know, when he said, he said, this realization, he's talking about himself, teaches us, teaches me, that our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood. It's like, okay, you go to Best Buy, you know, you go to Wero's, you get, yeah, like H-E-B, here, that's the, that's the warm flesh and blood, where else are you going to find it? Just at the Zendo? The merciful incarnation made manifest, incarnate, mercifully, it's kind of a powerful statement, isn't it? That we're being held, and, and by our practice, we're holding this amazing thing. A phrase some of you heard me use, because I just love it, from um, the Franciscan uh, Richard Rohr, you know, a Catholic priest. He says, and through our practice, we become a riverbed of mercy. Not the river, the riverbed. We have the vessel through which this mercy flows. If we don't, if you're not blocking it. But isn't there anyway? Even the blocking is part of it. Hmm. <clears throat> then he starts to get irritated. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Ready? Here he says. So if you bought all this, we have, it sounds pretty good, huh? Ready? Who can be ungrateful or not respectful? Even to senseless things, not to speak of humans. 
even though the angel is warm and compassionate toward them. Okay, now he's pushing. Because we have preferences, we often miss the opportunity to appreciate that everything is participating in the mystery of the awakened life. Because we start dividing it up. There's the good part, there's the bad part, the part I don't want to look at, the part I'm going to ignore. And all, and now we start parsing it out and it's just it's a, um, a reflection of our own mind. It's the mind. And not the big mind. There isn't some other life There's not some other life you could actually have. This is the one you have, the only one you're going to have, the only one we have together. And there's not some better place where it's going to be different. Not in Chicago, not in Hawaii, not at San Francisco Zen Center, not in San Diego, not in Japan, not anywhere. This, this is our life. This is the one we have. And there are there are only other options when we cling to our opinions and our perspectives. And that clinging to our opinions and perspectives is included too. Those parts of us that get scared, those parts of us that long, that's included too. Who could not be ungrateful, not respectful, even to all those parts. Because that's part of everything has a place. And I'm going to talk about that a little more in just a moment. Okay? So once again, we're just kind of hitting the high spots here, but we're not messing around. Right? Okay, now the really difficult one. This is the long, that's one sentence, you know, the if by chance. Here we go. If by chance they should turn against us, become sworn enemies and persecute us. We should sincerely bow down with humble language and with a reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one, who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time. So in case we missed what Troy Zinji is trying to tell us, he ups the ante and offers us a tough challenge to help us realize that the awakened heart and mind are much, are much more vast and inclusive than we thought. He's not telling us that we should be happy that bad things happen or that we should welcome abuse. That's not what he's saying. We'll go further into this. He's saying, there are things that are going to come to you that will show you where your limits are and show you where you still hold and cling. But our awakened heart and mind is really bigger than you think. You can't even actually think of it. It's the embodied inconceivable. That line I used in my talk when I came last spring. And, and our awakened nature is more flexible and resilient than we think too. Wakefulness is it's not what we think it is, because you can't think of it. And it's certainly not 
us being perfected or purified. It's not a perfected or purified existence. And it's definitely not precious. Well, some people want to make spirituality this kind of precious. But it is full and overflowing with grace. That riverbed can hold a lot. So just as an example, we're going to come back to this because I'm not speaking very much about the very difficult things that happen around us in life that impact us. I'm not going to talk about that so much, but if we, the part about taking the backward step and turning our light inward, let me say it in different ways. If by chance your own mind and heart might seem to turn against you, you ever feel that? Manifesting a kind of inner enemy or critic or judge. Anybody have one of those? It would lacking one. <laughs> you want to know. <laughs> it would be wise to turn toward these parts with curiosity and a real willingness to come to know them, not dismiss or try to destroy them. This is the reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one. They're showing us who we are and who we have become and how we actually live as we practice and where we're caught and where we're limited and how we create and maintain unnecessary suffering. They're teachers. Spoken in more archaic language, it says, who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time, as the words we said. And so these may actually feel like others who use devices. But by unblending and when we sit in Zazen, we're essentially putting things down. When we unblending from our immersion in the virtual reality, of our habitual and automatic mind states. We begin to see what's, unfold, what's unfolding rather than continually being enfolded. We see what's unfolding instead of continually being enfolded. We see what is unfolding. You getting it? Instead of continually being enfolded within the self-generated internal experience that we think is reality. We come to know how we habitually organize experience from this kind of limited awareness and how we call this limited, this experience that we generate and the way we organize, we call it reality. That's the way I see the world. And we defend it even at times like we'd almost rather die. We kind of see that happening. We come together as spiritual friends and engage in um, we call it call me assisted self-discovery and mindfulness. It's a great way to talk about spiritual friendship, assisted self-discovery and mindfulness, which supports this realization, this kind of release. And we come to discover that there are no sworn enemies persecuting us inside. What's the, the title of Dick Schwartz, the last book is No Bad Parts. Mm -hmm. There are no bad parts, there's no bad guys in there. There are only 
partial perspectives, limited beliefs, managers and protectors. <clears throat> Exiles walked away because they carry so much pain they could overwhelm the system or because they're so terrified of being hurt again. They're protected, rightfully so. These are all useful. They're not bad things. But if they aren't understood fully, they can be your entire reality. So pause here, take a breath. As you exhale, beings are numberless. As you inhale, parts are numberless. On the outside, exhale, beings are numberless. On the inside, parts are numberless. First part of the wake up about that first line. Here's the second line. Delusions are endless. Confusion and contractions might always be triggered. Even as we awaken, even as we open to a larger container, delusions are inexhaustible. This stuff may always happen. But we know how to work with it. We know how to meet it. You affirmed that earlier on. Third line, what is self about? Dharma gates are boundless. Opportunities to learn from the present moment never cease. <laughs> There's no easy street where it finally stops. You know, don't get out of jail free. It's like you're going to keep not just having problems. I don't mean that. You're going to have life. And that's each breath is a Dharma gate, each moment. There's endless potential. Because the Dharma is manifesting as your life. And as you wake up to that, then you are normally more free. You are more freeing in the world. And last, Buddha's way is unsurpassable. At the heart of every part is a Buddha. Every single part of you, every contraction, every critic, if it was freed from its burdens, what would be at the middle of it? A jewel, a pearl. It would be Buddha. That is crazy revolutionary to say that and to realize that. Because there's nothing but Buddha. Now it's not manifesting. Right, countless, you know, going through time and space, but as you began to open and appreciate these things that you think are the bad people attacking you, they go, oh, there, there's an opening to emancipation in there if we could help them relax. And realizing that is the way of compassion. So you still following me? Okay. I'm going to take a side venture for a second. And we're going to talk about uh, Kanzeo. Which is the, in Japan, that's the name of Aumakiteshvara, Bodhisattva Compassion, Kuan Yin, in China. Sometimes female, sometimes male, it's an archetypal uh, expression of compassion. In the old stories, this is really old archetypal stuff, and the old stories, uh, it's usually seen as a female figure. Nanzina lives on an island in the middle of the ocean. This is your bed night, that story, but it looks really good. <laughs> and she can hear the ocean all around her, vast ocean. Vast ocean of birth and death. 
and she sits on her island with tears in her eyes, with a deep understanding. She knows suffering as suffering, and the true nature of suffering as it is. She understands that for the constructed self, there is no escape from suffering. But she also knows something about this thing we call the self. Because from where she sits, it's the whole universe. The living, the dying, the beyond living and dying. Although her eyes are full of tears, she understands and goes beyond the suffering. And she can see the joy and its release. She sees the fullness of being right alongside the suffering. There ends up being not less or different. This is one of the keys to what Torizinji is pointing to. The Khan and Kanzeon is the term that you would, in Sanskrit, you would uh, translate as vipassana, insight and clear seeing. And uh, Shikan, uh, Shikantaza sitting, which is the second part of the name, Kanzeon, is uh, stopping and seeing. So we have to stop. And one of the ways we do that is we come to a retreat and put things down, put a lot of our life down, at least in the mornings and the evenings, in an integrated intensive. So we can see and hear more clearly. And that seeing and hearing more clearly is Prasha's wisdom. And the act of doing this is compassion, both for ourselves and others. Sitting Sitting one period of zazen, like you're going to do once I finish running my mouth here, just a little while. Sitting one period of zazen is abandoning our usual way of life for one bit. And it's not trying to get to that better life that you hope is out there somewhere. It's sitting in your life, our life, this life, but setting everything else down. And we stop and we make an effort to just sit here and breathe. And maybe you've noticed, it's not too easy just to sit here. Because there's so much we have to put down. And even though we think we've put a lot of it down, it's like you get up for Kin Kin and it's like, what is that? There's something you're still carrying, right? Because there's so much that comes up. All your fears and terrors and shame and all that, and all your desires and loves and longing. And then we project it on each other into the practices and the teachers and the teachings and disappointments and pain. But, but you are making the effort, even though it's hard. And you said in the beginning that you're actually expressing the Bodhisattva qualities and you're doing the Bodhisattva practices. And you, I heard you take the bow. This is putting things down. But even if we can't seem to do it, we keep trying. That's what Suzuki Roshi would always speak about in terms of constancy. Just continuing. And just like the apology statement in the Hit Student Ceremony earlier today, what the classical statement is, I'm so ashamed. But we ask them not to say, not to claim they're ashamed, which we understand the roots of that in Japanese culture and the way it was translated, probably. 
but you heard us change it maybe. I said, I vow my profound limitations, but I'll keep on trying. So it's not turning away from what that line points to. It's just not saying in order to open to realization, I don't have to uh, take on shame. But I'll keep on trying. You know, maybe we can't actually do it. Maybe no one can actually do it. It's not something we do. This is, this is where we have to rely on vowing instead of doing. Yes, we do with all our might. That only goes so far. Without a vow, you're just going to be working hard for the rest of your life. We can't be successful in the ordinary sense. But you can't be committed to slowing down and stopping and putting some things down. And to keep on no matter what. To come back to the breath and the posture in this moment. Come back to be with each other. And when we do that, we start to see, and we'll have a little insight. And we'll have that warm-hearted feeling, some clear seeing like Hansian. And when we do, we come to the next part of Kurizinji. That the one that starts down in each moment. Okay, together. If all that happens, <coughs> then on each moment, and on each flower, we reveal perfection. Unceasingly manifest as our life, just as it is, right here, right now. Well, finally, here is some good news. <laughs> <laughs> and what we discover is like really simple. It's really quite simple. We see that thoughts are just thoughts, and feelings are just feelings. How do we get so obsessed with them? Don't be so upset about it all. Uh, they come and they go like the waves of the ocean, like life and death. And I'm not talking about ignoring what we feel or, or think. I'm not talking about that at all. We don't have to be obsessed with them, like believe them and identify with them like it's me. With the space in which they move, they require care like everything else, but they're not the whole of reality. You know, in, in Hawaii, I'll stand on the the bluffs above the beach, and I can see the waves approaching, and I can see a long way from the beach that I tend to go to on the west end. If the day is clear, I can see uh, Oahu, which is uh, almost 50 miles. You can just see it right there. And so you see these waves, not just ocean waves. You see the energy waves. You can see the sets way out sometimes. So you, it's, it's a, literally a, a sine wave of energy moving in water. <clears throat> And I see them come precisely as they do because of the causes and conditions in the vast ocean beyond which I can see that make it just right to be that way at that moment. But they can't do anything else. And this is the universe and this is how it goes. And yourself comes and goes with conditions. And this is Kanzion sitting on her island in the midst of the ocean listening to the cries of the world, looking. And she sees the true reality of the self. 
which is what her name means in Japan. Japanese is seeing clearly. And what she sees is what Dogen talks about, not with eyes, but with her whole body. Remember that koan is a whole nother talk, but that's why this Avogateshwar having so many hands and eyes, you know, it's the whole body. We sit in Sazen not with our mind, but with our whole body, with the aches, with the pains, with the complaints, with the crazy mind, with the broken heart. Because we're going to see our lives, hear what's going on, not with our cognitive intelligence, but with our whole body. So in Zazen, we pay attention, we bring our whole body attention to our posture. Not because it'll make you a good sense to, but because it helps you focus and put everything else down. It's not our mind sitting there. And this whole body sees that the whole experience is empty, which means full of everything, not vacated. When we stop and put everything down, we're actualized by the myriad things. Remember Dogen? It's like, oh, this is everything. Not me, this, not I, this is everything. Right here. Everything is teaching the Dharma all the time, including your sitting Zazen and the person sitting next to you. Who may be crying or sneezing, who may be fidgety or really still. And we just open our hearts and minds and our eyes and our ears and receive it. The prize and our wisdom that we're seeking is the reality we're living in all the time. It's in every act of perception. Seeing something, hearing something, feeling something. It's in the rocks and the floorboards and the incense and the doors. It's in everything we do in our practice. It's right there in our simple the simple way that we come together like we did tonight and, and be kind to each other. Pay attention and live your life. That's everyday practice, which extends to our final aspiration, the last bit. So now he offers this aspiration. Now that he told you what he learned, what he realized, the tough news about what practice is, how it manifests as the lotus. And then he says, brother, together, May we extend this time to all beings so that we in the world together may attain maturity in the wisdom of the awakened life. Yes, please, I'll take some of that. May we extend this mind to all beings. He doesn't say, may we all um, wake up and get ours and go home. He says, may we extend this mind. Thus, May we extend our way of meeting the world with our whole body. And as we do with our whole, then that's the offering. So that we in the world together, we chant, I vow, me vow, this vow. Me and the world together. May attain maturity in the wisdom of the awakened life. We realize our fullness. It's actually our heritage. You know, when we have these lineage documents, it's beautiful because we see the flow of the teachings and how it circulates through us. But it's also reminding us this is our heritage. Not, not the Zen tradition, not only that, but like awakening. 
Nothing is withheld. It's freely given, and on the outside of the Kishimiyaku, you'll see in Jukai on Sunday, there it says freely given. For a reason. In preparing, I came across this quote, which I hadn't seen in a long time from our friend Peter Hershock, from whom we learned so much. And you know, he has a certain kind of languaging. Okay. Um, but, but listen to this. This is, this is our business, but we're the Bodhisattva business. The business of a Bodhisattva is not to disseminate information about nirvana and samsara. Even though I'm up here with a computer and talking. And <laughs> the business of a, the Bodhisattva is not to disseminate information about nirvana and samsara. To deliver awe-inspiring gospels of enlightenment, what we do our best to. <laughs> or even to convey sentient beings to the nether shore. But to enter into unbound and chartless concourse. Unbound and chartless concourse. And in that process, we might share some information. We might give some good Dharma talks or hear some. We might help each other out, but that's not the business of the Bodhisattva. The business is to enter unbound relationality and chartless means you don't know where it's going to go, but this is the territory. And that's what we realize. We give you a chart called a schedule, a seat. When to meet for practice, we give you the illusion, you know, so hang on to that. <laughs> so let's, let's do this this week. Let's, let's um, enter into Unbound Charles Concourse and Relationality, because that's, that's the punchline to this whole thing. <laughs> and so in just a moment, we're going to begin sitting for a while. And uh, Peg will begin seeing some folks and we'll continue that rhythm throughout the week. And I want to say a few things about this and certainly chime in if you want. Um, in our way at Appamata in the, in the past, we've traditionally seen every participant during the retreat and also more than once. We won't have double duty here, but... And you have to understand this is part of the retreat. It's, I'm going to say it in a cheeky way, but excuse me. Practice discussion is not like an optional activity, like a luxury add-on spa. You know, like, I'm going to go there, and then I can also get a facial, and I can, like, or I can do practice discussion. No, as part of the retreat. It's like a requirement. Um, it's part of what it means to be in a retreat. It's not a requirement. It's a part of what it means to be in a retreat, to be with a teacher. And it's not some sort of um, demand for a performance. Uh, and you're not being sent to the principal's office. Would you return to God? You know? uh, it's an opportunity to meet in chartless concourse. Because a lot of times you don't know what the hell you're going to do, right? You don't have a question. You don't know what's going to happen. You walk in and you like, and then you sit down and something happens. And that, the confidence that one can gain by that something happening in a situation where you're not sure, but you have faith in the teacher and the teacher has faith in you, that's the mysterious 
quick in life. So we set out a schedule. Give you a chart. So you'll know when to meet. And the meetings, as you can see, probably on the chart, won't last any longer than 15 minutes. We need to make sure we attend to our time so we get to see everybody. Do not worry about having a specific question or needing to present something special or certainly not Zen-like to us. It's not a performance. Come and be present with who you are and what you are. And <clears throat> remember that line says, um, may we extend this mind to all beings. Come with the notion that you're going to extend yourself. And the teach that's what we're going to come with. We're going to come with, we're going to extend ourselves. But, but not so you just receive it, you extend yourself. It's a two-way street. The enactment embodiment of chartless concourse relationality, which is the Bodhisattva way, which looks like loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. It flows like generosity and morality and all those things, vitality, patience, focus, wisdom. We, we have this longing to free all beings and to free all beings. To meet all the delusional things that can happen and meet all delusions. Step through every Dharma gate that's offered to go into every Dharma gate that's available. And to embody the way of awakening, which is Buddha's way, which is here, this is it. So that's funny enough. So you're still in the right place? <laughs> so yeah. I would say be aware of your appointment time and be there on time. So that means if your time is coming up, sit in the um, study uh, so that you're right there. Um, because we are, there's, because of the number of people and because we're in an integrated intensive where we don't have as many hours of the day to see people, um, we have to be very uh, mindful of uh, of how we use that time. And those of you online are there, so pay attention yeah. to when you, you're, you might be, it's maybe your time. The monitor is going to just whip you into a connection room. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be swept away. <laughs> and then they're going to whip you right out again. So, <laughs> so we can see the next person. But, um, but we really, really, originally we had thought we would not see people one-on-one -on -one because there's so many people because we have such a small amount of time to see. And it's so complex. But it's so complex. Online people and online and some people are part-time, which is even more complicated. Um, so, but, you know, we worked it out, but it does mean, you know, we have to be constrained, but we really do want to see you, each of you. Um, so, you don't, as he said, you're going to have to have a question. It also means we're not going to have a long time for a long story. So, focus on practice. Not free ramble. And to what's coming up for you, and we'll, we'll meet. Right. We'll really meet. Okay.